Hello, 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 and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh podcast. So today's episode is one of those major, major mindset episodes that I am very fortunate to interview. I'm very fortunate to have interviewed some amazing people. And this is up there with some of those very, very powerful episodes with the likes of Jack Kavanagh. This is up there with the episodes with Mark Pollock. This is up there with many of the episodes that I've done on and and had the pleasure of interviewing some very, very special people. Brian Penny. Yeah, the, the, the list is endless, to be honest with you. And this episode in particular, I think particularly on this week, we celebrated the one year anniversary of when the war over in the Ukraine started. And I don't want to make this episode about politics or anything like that, but this episode in particular has has been this episode has been a pleasure to record and very very lucky so this episode is with the amazing Oksana Masters so Oksana is the US's most decorated winter Paralympic athlete and her journey is very very unique she's gone from a Ukrainian orphanage to the podium she's been nominated for three ESPY awards this year including best female athlete and she's got an amazing new book and memoir called The Hard Parts, a mem- memoir of courage and triumph. And Oksana's story describes the immense adversity that she's had to overcome since birth. Being disfigured from radiation exposure in the fallout from Chernobyl and then having to endure the horrific conditions of the Ukrainian orphanage as well. And we talk about her amazing story and her look in 1995 when she was adopted by an American college professor and we catch a glimpse in the book we catch a glimpse in what our conversation is is resilience in the mindset and it's she's endured multiple surgeries amputation of both legs and her mindset her resilience determination her drive her perseverance has led her to become a Paralympic champion an athlete and some of the stories that she talks about to get through that kind of element of to get even in, to get into competition from living out of a car from her record breaking career to being proud of her Ukrainian identity. I think this episode is going to hit home for an awful lot of people. So this is one of those episodes that I would particularly like people to share, follow Oksana, share a story, buy the book, read the book, whatever it may be. The name of the book is called The Hard Parts, a memoir of courage and triumph. So that's available on Amazon in major bookstores and stuff. So I hope you guys enjoy the episode with Oksana Masters. Oksana, how, how are we? Thank you so much for doing this. Oh my gosh, Shane, I'm so excited to be here with you. Thank you so much. I'm good. Awesome. We were talking off air and we could have spoken for so long about kind of what's going on. We we're trying to figure out the world's problems before we uh, <laughs> came on. So... And massive congratulations on the book. I know it's out on the 21st of February, 2023. So massive congratulations on that. Thank you so much. I can't believe it's 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 hitting me. It's happening. It's real, especially when you're holding it. And then to be to say like, I'm an author, it just makes my, I get goosebumps still. And how did the whole idea of the, of the book come about? Um, You know, it's funny because for the longest time, I never loved my story and it took a long time time to appreciate it and see the power and strength in it and the whole full circle journey and so I never really wanted to share that because I didn't even love my own story and this the parts that are in there that were really difficult to talk about but then after sharing my story through some of my Paralympics leading into it and the Players Tribune pieces where I really shared a huge part of my journey and I got so many messages and realized Oh my gosh, like there's so many people that connect to so many different aspects of my story. I had no idea how it's going to touch someone. So opportunity came. Uh, my literary agent, uh, liter- my a- literary agency that I've now reached out to me and were asked if I was interested in writing a book. And at that time, after that, realizing, oh my gosh, like, hopefully this can help so many people, I was on board. And it started during the pandemic. And then during training for two Paralympic Games, London or not London, oh my gosh, for Tokyo in 2021-ish because of the year postponed, and then um, Beijing. But yeah, so it was that's kind of how it started, and it was good um, distraction from my training and to be able to 
almost like have my story motivate myself and remind me of my why why am i getting up and training and doing this and i love the fact that you brought in the why because i know we're going to talk about that i talk about that with clients all the time about having the why they're probably fed up with listening to me talking about the why (laughs) it's important you always you have to know it is it's like yeah it's so so important but i think we need to kind of rewind it to go all the way back (laughs) rewind a lot to kind of rewind and kind of say right what is your background and if anyone hasn't heard of your story can you tell us a little bit about your story because it's it should be a movie as i said to you (laughs) yeah my story you know the the starting point of my story is very complex and then it only just gets more complex as it goes on but i was born in ukraine and i was born three years in 1989 three years after chernobyl radiation leak that happened the explosion and when i was born and I had radiation exposure in neutro. I can never say that right in my birth mom's stomach. And it caused a whole slew of deformities on my body from my legs, my hands internally with my organs and my muscles and um, just all this other stuff. I was adopted. I, so I, because of the birth defects, my birth parents relinquished me to the orphanage system. And I lived in three different orphanages there. And it's really the, last orphanage the one that my mom now adopted me from is where i have all my memories for the most part and there's the most vivid memories good and bad um and not to bore people because they can know more about the details in the book but i was there was all kinds of abuse going on we didn't have a lot of food there was not really any resources for medical care. I did have seven surgeries in Ukraine to try and help what was going on, but the resources were really, really not to what they are here in America. And my mom adopted me as a single parent and she wanted a baby. She did not want an opinionated seven and a half, almost eight year old at that time. And ours, it was a long, long battle to your battle. And came to America. And then that's where my life really started kind of, that's where I feel like I really started living and I was actually like alive. And now I'm a Paralympic athlete. So it's kind of, you know, simple. You're, it, you're, you're making it sound so simple. It's like, yeah, I just came here at seven or eight and now I'm Paralympic athlete. It's like, there's, there's a lot more to it than that. Um, And like, I think in the book, I know you talk about it in an awful lot of detail. I know I don't want to kind of give too many spoilers, but I think we do need to kind of go into it in a little bit in order to get some story. But like, was the was it a brothel as well, or what was this? What was the situation with the orphanage? Um. So the last one. I mean, I don't really like to put labels because I I have no idea. Yeah. I, I had no idea even. Um, well, at that time, I had no idea. <laughs> that's what it was and that's what was happening at all because it was like my normal but there definitely was acting like one for the most part there were like aspects that were like that with that type of abuse that was going on and um it was so sketchy because when my mom came they were so dismissive of the upstairs part of the main building where the orphans lived and she was saying what's upstairs and they were just like cutting it off to the point where my mom had a gut feeling like there's something they're not sharing and why and the readers will find out in the book but um yeah it's it definitely i don't know if brothels i don't know it just makes maybe because i'm not comfortable yet with that yeah with that word yet either but it definitely was not a good experience to start my first seven and a half years of my life. And I know, I'm trying to remember the name of the documentary that is on Netflix that looks at Chernobyl. I know I saw there is, they looked into, I'm not sure if it was on Netflix or a different channel here. There's one on HBO that had, that was Chernobyl, was the, the yeah, documentary yeah. about Chernobyl. And oh my gosh, I had no idea like I didn't learn about Chernobyl and what it was because where I lived in Western Ukraine, there were other in the um, last orphanage in that village, there were still working, functioning nuclear power plants there. So like I had no idea that 
um, and there would be some leaks that would be go like that would happen in the somebody would go around and then we all of a sudden wouldn't be able to go outside until the air levels and everything goes down kind of thing. But I didn't know what Chernobyl was and I didn't know I had birth defects. Be Well, two things. I actually had birth defects and I was different and I didn't know that it be resulted from radiation and Chernobyl and what it was because we weren't taught that in school. School wasn't really a thing then um, or like that type of education. What was amazing to find out watching that was the political side of how it happened and the cover up and just the really, it broke my heart and to know still to this day, the levels of radiation there in that area is so high still that even in this conflict that Russia and Ukraine, well, the war that Russia is invaded in Ukraine, those military guys were leaving with being ill, illnesses and sickness and just not good because the radiation is that high still. Have you been back? I have not. Well, so I went back in 2015 on a diplomatic reason, but I went to Kiev. I did not go to, so I was invited to the U.S. Embassy of Kiev to go and an addition. Kind of like, I think Ukraine is trying to, first of all, have adoptions People adopt, Ukrainians adopt within Ukraine instead of adopting from outside other countries and bringing kids in because okay. I think it's a cultural thing where um, they don't want to, like, not acknowledge, but I think they don't want to realize that there are Ukrainian kids who do not have homes because kids are are like the, the future and they're, they're a huge, um, they're, I, don't, I don't know the right word, but... Um, so I went for that. And then also because of 2014, the invasion that happened of Crimea and other stuff from Russia on Ukraine, a lot of military men were coming back injured. And I talk about my experience there too, and showing them the prosthetic side of, and helping that community in Kiev know you can make, you can make the streets and society accessible to every type of a person and all their mobility, everything that they need to be mobile within their society and contribute to society and especially support the men and women who are protecting. It's it's like I just from watching it, it's kind of like it's hard to fathom how much of an impact it actually has and still has to this day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I was born three years later Yeah, from that. And the amounts, and so that's what my birth defects, they found out it was radiation because when I came to America, they found radiation in my teeth when I took the x-rays. I went to the dentist for the first time. And then in addition to that, a lot of times when someone's born with a disability, it's the same type. So it could be an amputation, but either local to if it's on the leg, it stays on the leg or their deformities, like maybe a leg and an arm, but it's the type similar type of it where mine was my hands were impaired and did not form my legs i was born with them but they didn't have the weight bearing bone i don't have all parts of my stomach or one kidney don't have my bicep and stuff and no enamel on my teeth which the only thing that's strong enough to strip enamel on teeth is radiation and because it was just a little sprinkle of every part of my body that was impaired Doctors in America know that it was radiation because there's evidence of it in my teeth. That's mental because I because I have a list of the, the you've named them there. I have a list of it's kind of like yeah, the kidney, stomach, bicep, fingers, thumbs. Yeah, it's just it's a mad list. The only thing that's not related to radiation was six toes. I was born with six toes, and apparently, fun fact, I found out that is her hereditary from the mom's side so i don't know if she did or if it skipped a generation but the six toes was definitely it was just like a little fun fact of i should be a swimmer my hands and my feet were webbed i should have been a swimmer and that should have been my sign instead <laughs> yeah <It's> every cloud <laughs> <laughs> um and then you, you, you talk about kind of your adopted mom have you have you met your uh mom your birth mom i have not met my birth parents Okay. Or my birth family in general. Um, that that's that's my dream. And that's why I'm hoping that there will be a Ukraine. And I know 
there will be. I just hope they'll be alive to go back to, to be able to meet them and see where I get my head tilt from. Why do I have weird eyebrows that like to grow halfway and stop the other way? And just like, you know, those normal things. <laughs> um, And your, your US mom, your adopted mom has had a massive kind of, like there was a crusade or an undertaking to kind of go and get you. And she's quite, she's quite academic from what I can see. She's very like, yeah. very professional. she's very like successful in her career. She's uh, very successful. And she was like, at that time, like she was, she was breaking barriers and going through her own walls because as a female at that time, she was going for a PhD in speech pathology. And that's something that it was a male dominated thing. Like, women weren't getting PhDs and she was always had to fight, 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 which I think that fighting spirit was there for her to fight for me for those two years and not give up so easily as she did not give up in her academic side. Do you think you get your resilience side from your birth, from your adopted mom? I think so. Like we, my mom and I could not be any more opposites. She loves, she, like you said, like, I mean, she's academic. She loves to read. She loves to love. I mean, I love to learn, but not to the point where I'd rather sit at home and read. I'm, I want to be out there. I want to be in that water. I want to climb a tree. I want to be active and doing something and feel that wind through my, that rush. That's how I get um, really excited. And, but I learned resilience, determination and hard work and what that looks like through her actions of, and her story and her actions of being there for me when I came to America and how much she fought for me and help being my biggest advocate for me. And just the fact that I was, she didn't know at that time, I was very well aware of her for the two years that she was trying to adopt me. And I was looking at her picture every day that they would allow me to until she came to adopt me and she never gave up on me. And Two years in an orphanage feels like a lifetime and you start to doubt yourself, but she was different and her eyes were different and everything. I need to be a successful athlete or a successful determined person or a person with a disability that needs to constantly like just be resilient and adaptable. Like I learned it from her for sure. Did she teach you English as well? Yeah. Well, she's a speech pathologist. So that's why oh, I oh. don't have any, I'm so mad. I don't have my Ukrainian like accent at all. Oh, with the twang. <laughs> Ah, I don't. Well, it's. I think you, people might be hearing the Buffalo, New York, Louisville, Kentucky. I can a hear a little bit of uh, New York in there. <laughs> or it's, it's a certain oh, point at the end. As long as it's not a Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky accent. <laughs> I can hear but, yeah, but if I have enough to drink, my W's turn into V's, and all of a sudden I'm talking like Vot, and like just all of a sudden oh, okay, like, yeah, yeah. it comes out. But the weird thing is some of my dreams are in Ukrainian and I can understand, like everyone speaks Ukrainian in my dreams and I can read it. I can understand, but I just don't know what it means, but I'm reading the alphabet and can read the, um, that's cool. When I was in Ukraine and reading buildings and I was like, what, what is this? And I say the word through this acrylic alphabet and they're like, oh my God, you can still read. And so there's hope. I can learn it again. I can learn Ukrainian again, but my mom did teach me English. It's pretty impressive as well. Because she, I didn't speak English and she didn't speak Ukrainian for like the first little bit when we first met. So it was a whole lot of playing charades that we're both were not good at. Yeah. Uh, and that, that can't be easy either. <laughs> but it probably brought you guys closer together from what I can hear. Like there's definitely a unique bond and between the two of you. And it's definitely served you anyway. It's definitely served both of you of kind of having that bond and having that support network around Absolutely. you as well, because I think support is some one of those things that is very underrated and we can push people away easily when things get a little bit difficult. But we've never, like a lot of people haven't been taught how to deal with emotions. A lot of people haven't been taught how to do a lot of things and they can push people away. But I think your testament to having to work through different things to at the end of it, get what you're, you're wanting out of it. And I think when you're like, I'm, reading the notes here and i can see that from when you like from going to like how did you start off getting into the sports because you've gone from kind of living out of a car <laughs> to going, going from living in a car causing my mom to go into debt taken out of her retirement to support this to where i am now which is wild <laughs> i can't yeah. i can't believe it 
But, you know, and that's also why I really wanted to share my every part of my story, the the sleeping out of a car and trying and making, even though I don't know if I'm going to have what I'm going to eat tomorrow, which actually, you know, sleeping out of a car was great because my experience in Ukraine and the orphanage really came into play in that. And I knew how to survive in that. I knew how to make a box of spinach last forever because... I've already been in that position. So I'm like, great, finally, some tools from that I can apply to now, which obviously no athlete should, but it helped me look back. I'm like, okay, I can do this and I can, I know I'm going to, it's not going to be like this forever. And I wanted to share that side and where I didn't make my first games. I didn't make my first national team. I didn't win gold at my first, anytime. Like I tried my first sport. I didn't win gold. I didn't win gold my first Paralympic games because society, I think, and media, not society, but media always shares the top part of where the athlete is. And then they maybe share a little bit, like the few steps below of what it took to get there, but they don't show like the real side of that gray and that fight. And um, my mom definitely was the reason, once again, like she saved my life kind of in two ways. She saved my life by adopting me and getting me out of that situation where I was considered failure to thrive and would not last longer past 10 years old and saved it again in when I was 13, when she introduced me to the sport of rowing and was so persistent, like too persistent. She was like, just go and try it. Just go and try it. Cause we moved from Buffalo, New York to Louisville, Kentucky. And I was 13. I was opinionated. I was angry. Um, and then I was realizing like how my memories were coming back from Ukraine and just being already having at that time a prosthetic leg and one real leg and just being angry at myself on that and then making new friends. And she finally, I was like, okay, mom, I'll stop. I'll try it. Just stop asking me. And the reason I didn't want to try it is because I already was looked at as disabled in society's eyes. And this, in the sport was adapted rowing. And I didn't like that. I didn't like the fact that because I'm already labeled as disabled, now I'm going to be put into a sport that has a negative label already. And just because I'm missing, it doesn't mean I need to do this specific type of sport. I wanted to do volleyball with my school friends in the middle school. But oh my gosh, I'm so thankful for her persistence once again, because that's it. The minute I got on the boat and felt the water underneath, um, it just... I guess for the first time in a really ever, I felt like I belonged somewhere and I had a place to be. And next thing you know, I, I'm, and sport was my therapy. It wasn't, I didn't get into it like, oh, I can be competitive. I can win something. I can race because I know I've never seen people racing. I've never seen rowing. I've never seen someone with a prosthetic leg looking like me racing and representing team USA or representing anything in a race. And so I used it as my form of therapy. One day on Saturday, each Saturday of the week, I would go out and row and just all the anger, all the hurt, all the everything, I would just let out on those oars. And next thing you know, I had no idea that it was going to turn into going to the Paralympic games and didn't make my first games in 2008 that I wanted. And I was, that loss is when I realized how bad I wanted to make it and then was willing to sacrifice moving away from home and to train and make London. And we did. And then the games in 2014, when I transitioned to winter skiing, Nordic skiing is the one that I misjudged my finances. My mom literally supported me as a Paralympic athlete sponsorship opportunities were are are were and still kind of are limited compared to what they are for Olympic athletes. And and I was paying to be an athlete. I was paying to represent Team USA. I was my mom well I say I at that time my mom was because I didn't have that kind of money. And she kept that dream alive, that sporting dream alive. And to the point it where I didn't have the heart to tell her I ran out of money because I didn't pay attention in school and know how to do my math. And so I didn't budget it correctly and I ran out. And then I ended up sleeping like a week before we left for the games in Sochi out of my car 
which I say is great because once again, the silver lining is I lost weight in that moment, which is probably not good, but I was able to be faster on that uphill. So maybe it was good. Maybe that's what I needed is that (laughs) it's okay. So maybe it was like a blessing in disguise in a weird way. And and then um, transitioned to cycling. And at that time, I had no sponsors. I didn't have my, it was my fourth Paralympic Games in 2018. Even though I had two Paralympic medals, I still didn't have a sponsor. And I had no idea what sponsors was either. So it's like, I didn't really like, oh, I would love a sponsor or anything like that. Now, my first gold medal um, at World Championships was in 2017 and leading into 2018 games is where my life started changing. And I think I don't for one minute take it for granted because I know exactly what it's like to live out of a car, to pay to be an athlete, to to just have nothing, but still put in every 100% of yourself with nothing into your goal and your dream and making each day count as much as, much as you can to where I am now having the support and having some of the biggest sponsors and being able to be part of some pretty incredible campaigns. It's incredible. And it's, I don't think it's for me. I take it as an opportunity to represent. So that little girl and boy or that person that is born with a disability acquires a disability or know someone of in their family that has a disability of some sort can see they belong on this, this, place too. They belong to, they deserve to be seen and they have worth and we all can just, yeah, just to be seen as equals. That's a very long, wow, long answer to just, how did you go from sleeping out of a car to... (laughs) Well, like you're filling in a gap from the age of 13. So I I can see why (laughs) it was a longer answer than you potentially want to see at the beginning. But I think like if you hadn't had enough kind of stuff thrown at you um 2018 winter paralympic games you had an injury with your elbow Mm -hmm. um and you were told something by a doctor but you chose to not listen to the doctor (laughs) i had a tendency of not listening (laughs) so can you explain what exactly happened and what was advised to you and what happened after it so going into 2018 paralympic games my sport is cross-country skiing and biathlon and I take my legs off and I'm in a seat and I use both my arms to, to ski and, but shooting, I get down and this is the right hand, right elbow that was affected was my shooting hand where I put the weight and everything. And that's just painting a picture of how much I rely on my hands or my arms. And of course, I, I'm, if I, even if I had legs, Chase, I would be, I'm born to be a klutz. Like I just am. And that's exactly because I fall all the time. I'm like really good friends with the floor because I'm just like, we've seen each other three times a day at least. And that's cool. It's where we, it's my life now. But I was, I basically training leading up into the games a few weeks before we were about to leave. I slip on ice and I dis and I catch myself. Literally the first thing they teach you as an amputee is how to fall. So you don't do what I did. And they, so they want, they tell you, don't extend your arm to catch yourself. And I fall all the time. And I think about this day all the time and relive it. And like, why now? And why, how did this happen? And so in the process of it, long story short, I dislocated my elbow, but in the process of the way I dislocated, dislocated it in my anatomy, I fractured the radius head on the forearm side and shredded the ligaments and there were bone particles that were preventing me from bending and my elbow swelled up and would not bend. So I call my coach and I'm just devastated because going into these games, there's a lot of pressure I put on myself because there's a lot of outside pressure. People are saying, you are the one that's going to win the first gold medal for Team USA Olympic or Paralympic at these games. And um in cross-country skiing and biathlon. I just got off from having four gold medals at world championships. So I was finally entering 2018, my fourth Paralympic Games, believing I can actually achieve this gold medal because I was only that second and third best athlete. I was never able to get to that top step on the podium. And this happens. And then of course, on top of that, I'm talking about, I just have my first sponsors too. 
So then I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose it all because of just this dumb accident, freak accident that happened. And the doctor, I go in Bozeman and seen, they're saying, well, this is the situation. You're not going to the Paralympic Games. You can't go. You're, you, you cannot race on this elbow at all. And you're basically, your road just stops here. And there's another doctor that said the same thing. Like, no, this is going to be impossible. You, there's no way you're going to be able to ski the way I ski in a sit ski on this elbow. Like, it's just not possible. And the recovery for that is months and months. It's not just a, a little weak thing. And I didn't want to listen to that answer. So then um, we flew out to Vail, Colorado and Stedman Clinic. And Dr. Viola there. Is he the knee kind of, Huh? Dr. Stedman, is, is he the knee? So the Stedman Clinic, he founded it. But within that, there's multiple different doctors, specialists that are hand, oh, elbow, and yeah. the knee guy, Dr. Stedman and Philippon, and um, they're there. But, I mean, I gave my knees away a long time ago. So <laughs> I was thinking, I, I, just, why am I, I just go to WD-40 or Ace Hardware Store or <laughs> Home Depot for my parts now. <laughs> but um, so I went there and he was the one that said, okay, this is what you want to do. We can do this. I'm just going to let you know the risks if you're willing to do this and follow this program to a T. And that involved a little small procedure in his room there for my elbow um, and follow every single hour to a T. You can do this, but know if you're choosing to do this, you are risking of damaging, permanently damaging this elbow and not having the same use out of it. So it's on you how far you're willing to push this. And I'm like, well, I'm already down two legs. I what, what's another prosthetic limb? Okay, like whatever. I'm it can't get any worse. So that was my thinking. In addition to this is the first time I'm believing I'm capable of achieving gold medal. I have sponsors. I don't want to let them down. I don't want to lose them. I don't want to go back to living out of a car. I don't want my mom to feel like everything was all for nothing. And so I was like, well, let's just see what happens. And Worst can happen is I don't race. I'm already in that position right now by these other doctors telling me that I want to prove that wrong. And what happened? <laughs> um, the so I was entering like we didn't even know up to the start line like the first race if I would be able to. I haven't done an intensity on that elbow for the weeks leading into it. I miss a lot of training. Long story short, I ended up winning my first gold medal that way, and in that book. There's something that happens in another race of thinking, okay, halfway through the games, my game stopped there because I end up having an accident. And it just so happens that next day after that accident, where the doctors on the ground in Pyeongchang in South Korea said, You're this is it, your game's over. And I was like, Well, the sprint's my favorite sprint. I'll be damned if it's gonna stop here. <laughs> I'm not gonna go to this point if I've already injured at this point. And I know I can just really destroy it now. And it really is. Um, I won my first gold medal, which then was followed up by my second gold medal. You don't like to take no for an answer, do you? No, I, no. <laughs> my fiance is like, your favorite word is no. And I'm like, no, it's not. And he's like, see, you don't even know how to answer without a no. But I can't take no as an answer either. Because that's part of what got me to where I am now. If I said, yeah, you're right, doctors. I will never walk again. Yeah, you're right. I don't have a quality of life in the future. Yeah, you're right to the people in the orphanage. Like, I don't deserve to have a family. I'm not going to fight to try and survive there. I wouldn't be here talking with you. You're obviously very, you mentioned the sentence of having the why earlier. You're obviously very clear on your why. So what is your why? Okay, so my why is actually it's it's fluid, it's changing all the time, and my why keeps that bag keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And you know, it first started out as proving everyone wrong and proving everyone. In addition to, I think the biggest person I had to prove to was myself. Is I I'm more than being a girl with no legs, and I wanted to show what to that next, that, honestly, that young little kid, that little seven-year-old Oksana of do not let society determine what you're capable of achieving and doing based on what their limited 
knowledges of how they view you and what they can't understand in your situations and um, to never let that affect how you view yourself in the mirror ultimately at the end of the day. And the why now is just transformed to something broader with sharing my story in this memoir is those parents who are looking into the adoption, the kids who are adopted, kids who were mistreated and feel less than and don't have any see and and then for society to see us as equals and I'm an athlete too and we I my sweat equity is the same as Serena Williams and LeBron James and all these Olympic athletes that we put on the pedestal and um just and just to prove people wrong like I'm not gonna let your small opinion of how you view me determine how I view myself and then how I set my goals in my life and what I feel like I'm capable of achieving. How often do you take stock of what you've actually achieved and what you've accomplished? Like, do you actually stop and kind of pause and say, hang on, look, I've done pretty well here and give yourself a pat on the back? Or are you someone who is always looking for the next thing, the next thing, the next thing? I'm not, I'm not that person that stops and puts my, pats myself on the back at all. And I think like, I think I, I, I'm so hard on myself because even when I do, my teammates hate me and they're like, oh my God, what are you talking about? Because I could have had, I won a race, but what I'm focused on is that thing in that middle of that race that I did not do right. And I'm like, oh my God, it's so frustrating. I cannot believe I did not nail this turn. And all I'm focusing is on that thing and what I should have done. And they're like, well, you won. What are you talking about? But it's, for me, it's not about the end win it's not standing in the middle it's not i mean obviously it's it's just the gold medals and the accolades are just proof of the teamwork around you that helped you get there and it's are they're together doing that but the other day i literally had to have my medals and i'm like oh shit i don't know where they are i was missing half of my medals and i they're on the bottom of my floor in the closet and i had no idea because i'm not that kind of a person but what i realized is writing this process of the hard parts that made me realize where I started to where I am now and what I've achieved. And that that's kind of like, Oh shit. Like I can't believe that's me because I'm in the moment living day to day. It's hard to see the big picture when you're just reading about it and you're like, Oh my gosh, it hits you differently. And, um, yeah, I, I'm only able. I have what I have, and I've achieved what I achieved because of my team, because of my rowing partner, because of my coach who did believe in me, because of my mom, because of my entire team around me. And I think that's why I don't look at it as what I've achieved because standing in the middle of the podium sometimes is the most bittersweet thing and it feels guilty because it's just me who's standing there and people see you as you got there alone but I didn't and so I don't know if that's the reason why I don't um pat myself on the back sometimes because I know it's not just me that I'm patting on my back it's everyone that helped me there what's the first thing you did when you won your first gold I put finally got to do what I wanted to my mom and well I kissed my gold medal finally but I my my I told my mom the first gold medal I get is hers and this is all for her. And I finally got to do that. Um, put the medal around her neck and she just, gosh, seeing her smile and she doesn't care about the gold medal at all. She just wants to see me happy and see the work that I put in actually like it just shows the commitment, dedication, and that the willingness to stick through it, the willingness to sleep out of a car and to still see your goal and chase your goals. And the first thing I did was put it on my mom and that's her gold medal. In the dark room. It was like after the (laughs) award ceremony and it was pitch dark. It was not this glamorous, like amazing, beautiful thing. It was, (laughs) it was a dark because all the lights and everything were shutting down from the awards podium ceremony because you do the race and that evening in the town you do the all awards for all sports and um it was just kind of perfect for us in our story it's amazing um the last thing i'm going to talk to you about is the importance of your ukrainian identity because i think Mm -hmm. it's it's such a massive topic at the minute 
but you were at an, an event and you want you were i'm gonna let you tell it because i'm gonna murder the story <laughs> are you talking about when they were saying like they would not acknowledge i was from ukraine former ussr yeah. yes yeah so in sochi in 2014 russia paralympic winter games um my my motivation to make that games was because across the black sea was ukraine and this was my moment to maybe go back there and Oh my gosh. I've always been proud of where I come from. I've always been proud to be Ukrainian. I, to the point where my mom adopted me, I said, I'm not learning English. I'm going to teach you Ukrainian. I'm not going to, there's no other language to speak. And in the start line in Sochi, they would always say, oh, Klana Masters racing for Team USA from the, from the former USSR. And I was like, did they just say that? I'm not from the USSR. I'm from Ukraine, not from the former USSR. And it, they literally did that every race and they always they put it in the nugget of you know it's she's from the former ussr this is why she's racing so strong and stuff and it pissed me off excuse my french and because i'm ukrainian and the proudest moment was my first medal in my winter games was in sochi it was in the cross-country discipline the and i was fighting i was within seconds of the gold medal there. The girl who won was from Ukraine. I got second and the girl from Russia got third. And I've never, everyone thinks that I look so angry on the podium because I'm looking and I'm just looking at the flags where it's the first flag is the Ukrainian flag raised and then the American flag and then the Russian flag. And then, but I was looking at full circle to be in this moment, being a Ukrainian, now an American, Ukrainian, and seeing my two favorite flags raised side by side was my like best favorite memory of the games. And I always believe in believing where you come from. And I've always been proud to be Ukrainian, especially, like you said, now more than ever. Um, and that's something, regardless of any bad mistreatment I had as a little kid, isn't because of that country. That's to shine a light on all orphanages all around the world that that happens you, you've given prize money as well back to the soldiers is that right yeah so i actually gave money to um children th with disabilities that are in orphanages in 2022 winter paralympic games when this invasion started and the war started against ukraine um for we were going to beijing this is crazy that my book is coming out literally one year since the war has been going on too. And I can never, I don't, I don't know, like hopefully this is going to help bring awareness in here in the U S too, of like the importance of supporting Ukraine and stuff. But February 24th is when the war started. We were the next day we were leaving for Beijing 2022 games, winter games. And I didn't want to go. And my coach at that time, she said, had a long heart to heart conversation and saying like, when you're on the start line, there's so many people that are connected to Ukraine because of your connection to Ukraine and because you're Ukrainian and we're supporting you in that. And you have the ability to support and show your Ukrainian strength and heart through on that start line. And, and then I still thought it was selfish to go for my own personal goals when there's people and kids specifically that do not have homes now and are fleeing and will forever be changed. And I decided I'm going to make my every start line mean something and every race mean something and not just mean going for my own records or my own, my own um, goals that I had set for myself. For, so for every, I was going to, if I was lucky enough to get on the podium, I'm going to donate my winning proceeds to a charity in Ukraine. And the one I chose was through it was through global giving organization and bright kids charity and it was the no child forgotten because in the midst of war it's those kids in orphanages with disabilities that are often left behind and do not have parents to take them with and there's no resources at all with without war and then when there's a war on top of that resources are just that much harder and so that's the charity i chose to raise was for no child forgotten because I was that child 
with a disability, forgotten. And I didn't have a war to grow up around that they do now. And so um, every time I was on the podium, it just made me emotional because I knew that I, I, I can't do much. And it's not like I'm a Ukrainian athlete that that were there racing and ha- don't know if they're going to have a home to go to and their families are there. But this is contributes to my why too, is being proud to be Ukrainian. And that just was that other why that I added to my bag of, I think we all can do. Your whys change and you can keep adding your new whys and be as your life changes and your um, experiences change, you can be inspired, motivated and determined through your whys. And I think every time it's something new too, like you have that much more extra fire, you have that much more motivation and determination to get through whatever that hard obstacle is that you may be facing. If you were to, the last question I'll ask is in, in relation to like, if if you were to go back to the very start of kind of like when you were kind of about seven or eight moving over to the US and being put up for adoption and having gone through everything that you had, what one piece of advice would you give that that girl? Um, again, if you were to if you were to talk to that person, oh my gosh! Um, well, say stop climbing on those bookcases because that got you nowhere <laughs> except in a lot of trouble. So just please don't do that anymore. But um, I'd say like just keep believing that these moments you're in are not your forever moments and to keep fighting and be that resilient rascal that my mom now calls me and to just, just keep fighting and never, never let anyone determine your future, your fate, except you and yourself. It's amazing. Um, Who's the, is, I guess I know I, I, I've seen I've listened to your episode with someone that I idolized as a kid, which is Tony Hawk. Ah, yes, uh, my brother actually has. Me he too. Met he met him. My brother met him in the big university in Dublin, and he has a signed poster with him. Uh, oh my gosh! Literally, my the skateboard that he gave me. Oh my god! I can see it right back here. here. <laughs> yeah, Tony Hawk. Yeah, it's, it's his board. So I went there. And um, so I was had the opportunity. Sorry, now there's a lot of noise. Um, I had the opportunity to go and, well, we did a podcast together. He did an amazing blurb for me. I met him at the 2020 Glorious Awards and um, he presented the award with me. And it was, it was his idea to bring my mom on stage. And it's just, I idolize him too. Like you and your brother, like I literally, I went through this phase hands down the tony hawk pro skater like nintendo game is still my fa- playstation whatever PlayStation platform yeah. favorite soundtrack that was like my whole like childhood middle school high school was coming on playing that and like trying to get all the the tricks down and stuff and and when i had my run real leg i wanted to skateboard i want to be a skateboarder and so he on the, his, his board when i went there gave me this board and um there's adaptive skateboarding now. So I took my legs off and he was teaching me at his, in his own, I don't know what they're called, not park, like, like his ramps that he has at his house or whatever, just um, give me advice and literally tweaked it. And yeah, he's incredible. <laughs> that's amazing. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. Cause I, I remember I had a listen to, I had a click into the Tony Hawk episode and I had a look at some of the other guests he's had on it. So it's just madness. He had Seth Rogen on this week. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's Tony Hawk and um, Jason Ellis, who's also was the biggest competitor of his, which is, I love yeah. their story and their banter is so fun. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, so where can people find out the, the about the book, The Hard Parts? Because I know it's out on the 21st of February, 2023. So where can people find out and buy the book? Um, you can go to oksanamastersusa.com on my website and there's links that will guide you there or um, any, honestly, any bookstore near you, Barnes and Noble, go to um, Simon and Schuster, or you can go to Amazon, um, or you can just follow me on Instagram, Oksana Masters, and I will be doing obnoxiously amount, overloading amount of, <laughs> buy here, go here, go here. <laughs> Might as well. 
Rude, rude not to. Um, but Oksana, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story, guys. It is, it's truly, I love doing the podcast because a lot of the podcasts I talk about is kind of like the mental side of things, but also like the nutrition and training side of things. But it's amazing to share stories that are very different, but are quite unique. And I think someone can listen to this and be like, this will give them kind of like a bit of a boost that to keep going or to see that it 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 is just about like it is being clear on your why and you can get through this because there's so much adversity that's been thrown at you and to be in the position that you're at right now i do think you need to sit down eventually and give yourself some sort of pat (laughs) on the back i do think uh rather than trying to go on skateboards and climb bookshelves and all this kind of stuff (laughs) take a rest for a day um but thank you so well, i am dealing with an injury right now so i'm kind of forced i'm on a house arrest and kind of like right. Drive right now so yeah that's what it feels like but it doesn't help that i have a skateboard here because i'm still like doing <laughs> things but thank you so much shane because i um i hope people when they read this book they feel they don't just learn about my story but they feel 10 feet taller and just proud of and excited to just face their hard part and just know that, you know, whether you're in training, whether you're trying to, if it's like a nutritional goal or if it's like a job or anything like that, like you're not going to be there forever and it's going to get easier. And it's going to just that persistence and knowing that why is going to help for sure. And I just hope that, yeah, people feel empowered to take on their own hard parts that they're working through. Please go and celebrate the book release. Please celebrate it. But thank, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. So thank you so much for listening to the episode with Oksana. And I think every single one of us who has listened to that episode is going to take something from it, have learned something about ourselves, learned something from Oksana, about resilience, determination, having your why. There's many different different lessons in that. So I always ask it, but please do share, tag us up on your stories if you found that episode interesting useful and i would highly recommend to go and buy oxana's book i'll put the link into the show notes and i really do hope that you've enjoyed that episode with oxana masters